MindZone Muscle Community, welcome to the Fitness Pro Mentors interview series. If you want to hear some amazing interviews from amazing fitness professionals all over the world, please join our Fitness Pro Mentors private Facebook group. But today, let's make it rain. Revolutionizing marketing for personal trainers and business gym owners. But today, dude, I'm here with Jason Colorone, man. How you doing, Jason? Oh, doing great. Dude, I'm really excited to have you uh, in this group. If you listen to this podcast, or you're watching this live. I love talking to people who have done amazing things in the industry, exercise titans, as I call them. And Jason, honestly, I mean, uh, but knowing you both personally and professionally, I'm super excited to talk to you because you've done some amazing things in this industry, man. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride. It's been a long, wild ride. That's for sure. So you've got um, your town's, one of your town's, I would say, largest personal training, a group studio, Elite Edge Atlanta, and you're also the inventor of a really cool invention that we're going to have to dive into called the Kinetic Arm. Is there anything else that I've missed? No. Um, I guess I had a supplement company for a little while as well, but um, you know, I can't, I can't be that uh, cheesy Instagram trainer, so we just uh, we started out great and then just you know, cut that and kind of the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Fair enough, man. So one of the things I'm really excited about is, I mean, honestly, uh, when I think of like a hardworking entrepreneur and my favorite mantra, work hard in silence and let success be your noise. I mean, that's it. You're that person. Like you just said, you don't want to be the cheesy Instagram trainer. You're not someone who's out there uh, doing all this crazy cheesing stuff. You're really working hard and making things happen. So Jason, if you don't mind, before we get into your actual work entrepreneurial stuff, uh, how did you become a trainer? And then how did you get all the way to the place that you opened up a fitness studio? Um, so I always, I was always fascinated with, um, you know, the way the body functioned, uh, played sports growing up, um, watched my brothers and, you know, was just real fascinated and always wanted to learn as much as I could. Uh, so, you know, my first job was at a smoothie king to learn about supplements because they had a big supplement section. Then I started at, um, a gym, you know, just working behind the front desk and I always paid attention to you know, kind of what people liked, what they didn't like, what worked, what didn't work, um, different styles, things like that. So I always knew, um, you know, that was a field that I was going to go into. And then uh, I played baseball up to the collegiate level. And then uh, before I had a big chance to play professionally, you know, I had several injuries along the way. So my arm hurt from age, you know, 12 years on. And, uh, you know, I'd chew up as many ibuprofens or leaves as I needed to to stay out there. And, um you know, then finally, when that was over with, I, I was always doing personal training, you know, from age 18 on. Um, so it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a big transition going from sports full time back to, you know, getting in the gym and helping people train and stay healthy. That's awesome. You started training people when you were 18 years old? Yeah, yeah, I started as soon as I could. That's awesome. I actually started when I was 18, too. So I, I love hearing that. Um, and from that, I mean, you've been doing this for a few years. We don't need to talk about uh, how old you are because we can keep that secret because you look uh, young as possible. But I mean, so you've been doing this for a while. Um, what kind of things have you learned along the way from that 18-year-old personal trainer observing people at the front desk and seeing what worked and what didn't work? Um, what kind of things have you learned that evolved all the way to the place where you opened up Elite Edge Atlanta? Oh, man, there's so much. Um a biggest one of the biggest things is all the people that I looked up to and uh, idolized. They they were kind of I don't want to say letdowns, but um, you know I always made it a goal to pass those people. And you know later on, they were renting out space for me in my facility. Um, and one of the uh, instructors that taught the first personal training certification that I took along the years of going through you know uh, muscle testing and RTS, I always thought, wow, if I ever saw that guy again, I'd love to give him you know some 
not to say pointers, but just kind of help him get on the right track. And then uh, he ended up running space out in my gym too. And, uh, you know, watching, watching him train, uh, man, he's more of a therapist. I mean, it was, it was atrocious. Um, so yeah, learned, learned a ton along the way, learned a lot of what not to do. Uh, but starting out, I thought, you know, the whole, uh, train like an athlete, it's gotta be fun. Um, you know, things like that. And then, you know, after sitting in Matt Bernier's class, those first two months, I mean, I was a trainer and strength coach for, I think 10 years or more. And the first two, first two, uh, weekends sitting there, I thought, what am I doing here? I don't, I've, I've never even had this done on me. I don't know what these muscles are. Um, so I really, I really like the challenge and, uh, you know, seemed to kind of be the first one in Atlanta to do it. So that was another big challenge as well. Um, trying to explain to everybody and Atlanta's it's like the Hollywood of the South. So there's to say it's extremely oversaturated is kind of an understatement. You said something I'd love to ask you about in the middle of that. There's two things. First and foremost, I mean, Matt Bernier, I mean, He's someone that no matter what he's teaching, he can make you question how you look at things. I love it. So, uh, I mean, anybody who's watching this, Matt Bernie has got an interview in the group and on Spotify. So please check that out because he's just an, an OG exercise education wizard. But um, you said that yeah. there was somebody you looked up to at the very beginning and that they were kind of like a combination of a bunch of things. And you said that they were a therapist and it was kind of atrocious and you wish you could mm-hmm. uh, give him some advice. Uh, what kind of, when you say that like therapist atrocious, are you kind of getting into that? therapist fixer versus exercise professional thing? Um, so watching them, it, I realized, you know, when I was younger, I thought, oh, they're doing all these, you know, they're doing 10 things at once. This is really cool what he's doing. He's got five people, you know, marching around the gym doing crazy stuff. He must be really successful. Come to find out he couldn't pay his rent at my place. Uh, so, um, you know, there was, there was a couple other ones too, but the other one that was also my first instructor. And you just kind of, you know, you come to that realization that, um, you know, for me, I think that for most people, personal training is a fallback career. And I've had a lot of people now I don't let most people in through the door, um, you know, let alone bring them in to talk to them. Uh, just because, you know, if I talk to them on the phone and, and I can hear kind of what they're about, or first I'll look at their social media. And if it's all, you know, shirtless selfies and, you know, circus stuff, like you, you just don't belong here. So, um, you know, I opened up because I, I felt there was nothing good enough for people in Atlanta. Uh, there's quite a bit. I mean, you can jump on a trampoline and pay money for it. Um, personally, I think you're a dick for doing that and charging people. Um, but there's there's all kinds of fads and, you know, CrossFit's on every corner. So I thought that people deserve better. So I could have easily taken in all these all these trainers and, uh, you know, made a lot of money off kind of a circus out there. But I'm just, I'm big on integrity. So, you know, chose not to go that direction. It's funny you said the fallback career thing because I remember, I mean, it is so true. And it's even more so kind of now. I mean, people are like enthusiasts. They get in a little bit of shape and they become a trainer or they're retired and they go, ah, I think I'll do some training. But I remember, I mean, if you started when you were 18, you're probably in the same world as me in that there was a time when you were a trainer. I bet you you could probably name all the trainers in your town. And it was a relatively like maybe there was 20, 30, maybe 40. Who knows? But it was like a small community. But social media wasn't there. Now, it's like if you have social media, there's an expectation as a trainer that you're going to have your shirt off. You're going to be posting videos of you deadlifting all the time, and it's all motivational quotes. And it's funny because, like you said, it really makes it really easy to vet professional trainers. Uh, I got a question for you. I mean, you've been working with lots of coaches and trainers for a while. In your opinion, 
what is the number one thing when you say integrity? What is the number one thing you look for in a professional career, personal trainer when you're hiring someone for your place? Um, I don't want to say I, I kind of hand them a shovel and, and let them dig, uh, but I'll get a conversation going and kind of see where they want to take it. Um, so then you find out real quick if, if it's about them and their ego and, you know, they talk about they've trained these athletes and or they're a celebrity trainer. I love that one. Um, so real quickly you find out if, um, you know, they truly want to help people and do what's best for them. Or if you find out they have this big bias towards I'm, I'm a kettlebell trainer, I'm, I do functional. And then, you know, I'll ask them questions and, uh, again, just kind of let them dig. And, um, you know, if they're not here to, to learn and I'd, I'd much rather have somebody with no experience that is willing to learn than someone that's done it for 30 years and has some fancy degrees. And, um, you know, it's just doing some just really dangerous stuff on the training floor. It's tough. I mean, I think there's some incredible education and I think learning as much as you possibly can in college, university and everywhere is absolutely possible. But there's like so much unlearning that seems to need to happen. I mean, we've talked about it, that you've met some really high level PhD people and you bring them into your facility and talk about some stuff. And it just like it's hair pulling for you. So, yeah. So it's painful. <laughs> so from this entire journey, man, this entire journey, uh, somehow this led to you opening Elite Edge. How the heck did that happen? Um, so I, I worked at small places, um, kind of a boutique gym. I, you know, worked at a, a big corporate gym where I was like a fitness manager, had 16 trainers under me. Um, and, you know, I always, you know, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. And this is why I got hurt all the time playing baseball. I feel like I always have to work harder than everybody. Um, so in my brain, there's, there is no is this going to happen? There's, I'm going to do it and I'm going to, I'm going to crush it. Um, so I sold, you know, at the time I was working at a, a gym down the street and, um, you know, decided I'm going to, I'm going to do this and got a space twice as big as I wanted to. And I thought, you know what? Failure is not an option. It's not going to happen. Um, I sold my hot rod, my motorcycle. I slept on my mom's floor, you know, in one of her upstairs empty rooms, uh, for a long time. So basically sold everything I had. I didn't have, uh, didn't have a partner, didn't have a bank loan. Um, I knew I was going to do whatever it took, you know, to get it going. So I opened up with very little equipment, um, never really done much marketing, but if I can focus on giving people a great experience and doing the best I can and the, giving them the best, uh, kind of fitness experience they, that they're going to get, um, you know, I knew that word of mouth would spread. So it was, um, it was very trying in the beginning. You quickly realize, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of on your own. Uh, a lot of friends were, you know, they were, I don't know if they were jealous or what, but had a lot of trainer friends. I think only one stopped by to see the place, um, had 18,000 pounds of equipment show up in a UPS truck. And he said it was late. And, you know, he said, uh, where's your pallet jack? I said, where's your pallet jack? So he dropped the load and said, well, good luck. <sighs> so, you know, at that point you realize I don't have the luxury of, uh, you know, thinking someone's going to do this for me or, you know, going and pouting in the corner. So. We had to drag off, you know, I think it was a couple hundred of these, you know, 100-pound mats with rigid edges. Had to do that. And then a couple days later, the guy shows up with the AstroTurf. And he says, where's your pallet jack? I'm like, come on, man. Where's your pallet jack? So I said, grab it to my back. I'm pulling it off. So pulled that off. And, um, you know, the list goes on. But you just have to wake up every day with the mentality of, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it well. And failure is not an option. So that was it. So I... Up every day, you know, 4 a.m., 
uh, taught all the classes, did all the, you know, muscle activation sessions, all the personal training sessions. I'd come in on Sunday and clean the place for five hours. So anytime somebody would tell me they want to open a gym, I'd tell them, don't do it because you won't make it. Like, well, that's negative. I'm like, okay, well, then prove me wrong. But otherwise, you're not going to make it. Yeah, there's. Has, have you ever had someone say, you're so lucky you look at this place? Oh, man. Yeah, when people say, uh, oh, it must be nice, say, shut your mouth, sit down and listen. Let me tell you how nice it is. You wouldn't last a week. And they think, oh, you own a gym, you get to work out all day. No, most days I don't get to work out. I don't get to go to jujitsu. You know, there's things that, that have to be done, and I have to make sure they get done. So, yeah, I love the, uh, the must be nice and, uh, you know, all that stuff. It's always, it's always fun to hear. When any someone ever says that to me, I always say, "Listen, you can take over my day any day you want. You have no idea Absolutely. what it takes." Because it's so. I mean, and I think that's the funny thing about like someone who wants to own a gym. I think there's this grandiose idea that you're going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars not doing anything. You work out when you want. You leave when you want, and it's very like autonomous. And you can get it to that point, I'm sure, but it's not. I mean, you're up early. You're grinding. You're moving hundred pound stall mats to your forearms can't move. It's it's insane. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And then, um, you know, anytime something happens, you got to fix it on top of everything else that's going on. Yeah. Incredible. So you said that you made it happen. You were going to make this thing happen no matter what. Like you had like a game plan. You're going to open this place. It's too big, bigger than you were prepared for. You put the money into it. You had no loan and you were going to make it happen. And you went some trials and tribulations. What kind of things did you try at the beginning of opening Elite that did not work that helped you pivot to something that did? So... Uh, a really valuable, I guess all the experiences were really valuable because I would always listen to customers' complaints um, at other gyms, whether it was a schedule changing, uh, things being moved around. So I had pretty, a pretty good idea of, you know, what people want and they don't like change. So I knew that, um, you know, we were never going to change a schedule. Um, when I started, I thought, oh man, this is going to be, you know, the biggest sports performance center in Atlanta. And then come to find out, we weren't really getting the athletes. You know, they're seasonal. Uh, the young athletes don't have the purchasing power. So uh, what was coming in was kind of, you know, mid-20s to mid-40s. The direction, you know, the horse is pulling. So that's kind of that's kind of what I shifted to. Um, now, I would have, you know, some athletes reach out, but that definitely wasn't the focus. Um, of course, we've got to keep the doors open, but... Then I realized, uh, you know, long term, that was just a much better business model. But also studying the other businesses, I knew that there had to be multiple revenue streams as well. So that's why we had, you know, the group classes. Um, we had the, the muscle lab. We got the personal training. Um, and then we can also train teams as well. So that way we know that the draft is going to cover the monthly bills. And then if we can build on top of that, then that's great. Yeah, I think it's funny. And you mentioned something that I've heard a lot of people go through. And it's that whole like, I want to work with athletes thing. And I understand, especially for you from that background of you being an athlete, there's a lot of notoriety of like, how fun would it be to work with like younger versions of me? But I mean, when you're looking at the market, you're looking at people that have, like you said, the purchasing power. Um, is it a market that's growing? And is the lifetime value there? It really isn't. Because even if you can get a bunch of them in, you're lucky to have them for four years, maybe. And then at the end of the four-year cycle, they're off to university or off university to school or work or whatever it is, and they're gone. So I think you pivoting is absolutely brilliant. And that's the majority of your market, right? That 40 to 50s? Uh, like mid-20s to mid-40s, I'd say. That's awesome. By the way, uh, Johnny Cook says, um, so we can pull this up here, Warlock uh -oh. of Atlanta. So <laughs> he's watching you, man. He's watching. 
Oh man, we had some. I love Johnny. We had some good times. Johnny, we had some epic, epic adventures. That's for sure. Yeah, Johnny's an ass. He's like the nicest guy, and unless you're Canadian, and then he just makes fun of me all the time, and so it's just brutal, just brutal. Cool, man. Well, I mean, Elite Edge Atlanta or Elite Edge Fitness, I mean, you got to check out. I mean, you guys now on social media are doing some really cool stuff. Your facility is enormous, and I know you guys are working on some big things. But at the same time, I mean, what I wanted to poke your brain of is now you've got two businesses. You've got this Elite Edge that's doing its thing, and I know you're working on having it become a bit autonomous so you can focus on this other project, which is you've invented something called the Kinetic Arm. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so that was... um you know, just like everybody that goes through, you know, the, the muscle specialist classes and uh, RTS, uh, we're nerds, we're problem solvers. So um, for me, I was sponsored to play baseball growing up and that's what got me, you know, to where I am today, I paid my way through college. Um, but again, I feel like I always have to work harder than everybody. So physically, you know, my arm just couldn't hold up. Um, so I was looking at a, a headline for a little sensor that said the sleeve that could save baseball. And of course, I'm a skeptic, so I said, there's no way. It looks like an arm pedometer. And I thought, well, wait a second. Knowing all the muscular attachments, you know, where things change throughout different ranges, um, you know, resistance mechanics, I thought, you know what? I think I can build an external muscular system. So it took about five years. Um, I got an industrial sewing machine in here. I made some absolutely atrocious-looking things, um, but they worked. So it took a while to refine it. Um, so basically just going off the basic premise of, you know, muscle strength being like a bell curve. So at end range, it's the weakest. Um, so I trademarked muscle web technology, because if we have something that can start to pick up some of that tension and pull you out of that weaker range, because in baseball with that, that layback phase, you know, you can't do that actively. That's all passive. So the arm's just kind of along for the ride. Um, so just as a way to give back so that, you know, kids can hopefully play pain-free or, you know, high school guys can get into college, college to professional level or professional guys, um, you know, continuing their career. So it was about, yeah, it's been, I guess, almost eight years now. Um, and same thing with that. I just, I did it all on my own. Um, I, any, any spare money I had went into patents, trademarks, um, research and development. Um, so I did a lot of, a lot of videos with objective data using, um, you know, little IMU sensors, uh, so we went to our first trade show. Uh, it was the American Baseball Coaches Association, and that was right before COVID. So we ended up winning best of show for most innovative product, and then everything shut down. So all the momentum that we had, all the in-person interviews just shut down. So um, you know, then I really had to pivot and make sure the gym was going to be okay because we, we had to shut down for about a month, and I think – I think we were the last business to shut down, and I think the first one to open. Um, got to a point where I didn't really care. I was going to open regardless. We still had people coming in the back door the whole time anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's been that's been a pretty wild ride as well. Well, we can talk more about the COVID thing another time, but, I mean, that kinetic arm, I mean, it really incredible. And so I would love to pick your brain about it. So this external muscular system idea, I mean, it makes perfect sense that the, where a pitcher ends up, they're ending in that generally close-packed position where the force production is super low, the muscles are lower quality, inability to produce force from that position. And so you created this system where it's helping to store some of that to catch some of that energy and create a bit more support there. Now, is this intended to be, is your kinetic arm intended to be more of a training tool or something that pitchers and people who want to throw a lot will wear even while they're playing games? 
Well, there was, I have an abstract that shows uh, around 90% of pitching is done outside of games. And now it's for all positions. So pitchers probably throw the most, maybe catchers too. But um, for position players, I mean, it's probably at least 95% of throwing is done outside of games. So with the sensors, we're finding that we can offload that elbow, that dynamic valgus, um, you know, 15, 20, sometimes up to 30% consistently. Wow. So even if they just use it in practice, that's, that's pretty huge. Um, we've had some athletes cancel their Tommy John surgeries. Uh, they're able to throw pain-free now. Um, so we've had some pretty, pretty incredible stuff happen. Um, so with the, the muscle web technology, you know, we've got these protective devices for uh, the groin. We've got helmets. We've got batting gloves to protect your hands, ankle oh. guards, elbow guards. So why is there nothing for the throwing arm? So it's pretty ridiculous when you think about it. There's some things for just the elbow, some things for just the shoulder. But as we know, if there's dysfunction at one and we try to stabilize that, it can lead to dysfunction at the other. So then I thought, um, almost like a, a sartorius, you know, for the lower extremity. So now if we had a multi-joint dynamic stabilizer, um, that cross bolt joints also gives somewhat of a uh, compressive element here with the ulna of that medial epicondyle. And then also, it's almost cutting this lever in half. So if we had a, a free body diagram with like, you know, a stick and a ball up here, um, yeah, we're almost cutting that lever in half when it goes back. So we're pulling from halfway up. So just mechanically thinking about how we can offload stress in that most vulnerable position. Interesting. I have two questions that come from it. And it's, I think it sounds super brilliant. So the first one is actually like more just, I'm just curious. And then the second one is actually kind of performance based first. I mean, so you're creating all this extra support at an end range position. Um, have you found through your uh, application of it, or are there any concerns of potentially accidentally decreasing one's ability to produce force without the sleeve in that position, if they're receiving that support? Mm -hmm. So we actually, um, we did uh, a long-term long -term study, so it was about a year and a half, two years. So we got the baseline throws with the athlete um, without them wearing the sleeve, and then it was about a year and a half, two years later, we got the baseline readings again, and he had been training with the sleeve, and we found that at the same velocity, his elbow stress was still lower. But the way it works, as you go back into that end range, um, it's really, it's almost like, you know, when the form and the ball go back and the humerus is torquing forward, we get that dynamic valgus or that separation force. So, I mean, when you're all the way back there, you can't produce any force there. I mean, we can't even actively get back there. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the connective tissue is just holding it on and that's, you know, it's just flying along for the ride. So if you were to just do that with your arm, it wouldn't really help you throw. So because you still have to generate all that force, we're not going to have the atrophy of that tissue. So, I was explaining it uh, yesterday. I had a great meeting and I said, you know, if we're talking about running and we've got like walking here and then sprinting here, if we want to get faster, we've got to train, you know, close to kind of that max threshold and, um, you know, kind of not to say nudge the needle, but we've got to keep continuously pushing. So we get that adaptation of controlling everything, moving faster through space. Um, so this allows you to keep doing that. And then when your arm gets tired, usually it lags behind as your trunk is rotating through them. So then we get those slap labrum tears. We get a lot of stress on that uh, superior interior labrum. And it's almost like the posterior chromium acts as a fulcrum kind of causing that distraction force. So this prevents that from happening. And the way it's constructed, the internal components, the elastomers are pretty much spot on to your natural muscular attachments. Very cool. So we're not changing the way anything functions. 
So you can have a different arm slot and have it work really well. So we're just reinforcing it at end range, you know, no matter if you have a, a short throwing slot, kind of a longer motion, but it will stop you from going into a range where it's dangerous, kind of like a javelin throwing motion where your arm will go way down and then it's a lot more stress on the shoulder. Dude, this sounds brilliant, man. Very, very cool. So I'll be honest with you. I'm a hockey player, so I am terrible with any sort of baseball jargon. So if I say anything that sounds ridiculous, you can call me out on it. Canadian kid, totally fine. Um, so, I mean, it sounds like there's a fantastically huge component on risk. I'm sorry, injury uh, decrease and trying to make sure that the opportunity for risk decreases dramatically um, from people wearing the sleeve during their training. Have you seen any increases in net performance after wearing it versus an athlete who doesn't wear it? Yeah. So definitely with longevity. Um, cool. Because almost like uh, with hockey or any sport, you want to try to get game speed reps in. Mm -hmm. So at practice, you want to go full speed because if you know, you're just practicing and going slow all the time. So like with hockey, if you're not hitting hard wrist shots or slap shots or really trying hard to get to the puck, um, you know, when you do that, you're going to be exhausted. So with this, you can throw harder and you, so you can get a lot more reps in without your arm breaking down. Um, so like at, at Mizzou, uh, the javelin throwers there, they use them and their coach said they were able to double their reps and there's no arm pain. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty incredible to hear, hear the feedback and the stories. So that's great. So it's, I mean, it's kinetic arm. I know you, it was baseball originally, but now, so you got javelin throwers. So does this open up like racket sports too, like tennis and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So we've got several quarterbacks that wear it as well. Oh, and you can actually, you can adjust the amount of tension too. <clears throat> so I've helped rehab a lot of guys after Tommy John or labrum surgeries. And um, it's a great way to strategically progress them back to the weight of their arm and the ball. So with baseball, there's, still using the same throwing progression program from 1989. Um, there's not a lot of smarts. And I, I joke and say we're dealing with uh, grown men that don't wash their socks for good luck because I was one of them. Um, and now they're chucking weighted balls and, you know, they stretch the life out of their shoulder. And then after they get injured, what do they do? They go and stretch it more, thinking that that's going to help, not realizing that's potentially a mechanism that, you know, could have caused the injury. Um, but, yeah, we've got several sports, and i got a full sleeve that we're working on now so I think with that, we'll get into uh, the tennis market and golf. Um, so it'll be, yeah, same same basic idea. You know, we're going to have those lines of force the same way, you know, anatomically you already function, but we're just not going to have all that stress at end range because we can offload it with the sleeve. Incredible, man. Dude, this sounds really cool. So, I mean, you've invented this thing, right? You created this thing. You had this idea. You bought an industrial sewing machine. I mean, how long, you said, is it, has it been an eight-year-long process to get to this point now? Yeah, it's been about eight years. So whenever you hear about, uh, you know, something that's an overnight success, probably not the case. So we've had Jason Braun on, who, Jay Braun, who's done Pure Torque, and we got Brad Thorpe, who's done Isofit. And so if you, Jason, had a, like, a recommendation, because I know a lot of people who said, I got this idea for an invention, right? And it's so much easier to say that than actually do it. If someone has an idea to create a product, do you have any recommendations or suggestions for someone besides just doing it? Like, is there anything that you could say, this will help expedite the process? Yeah, definitely. So I've got a, a notebook of great ideas that I had. And over the last couple of years, I've seen someone else bring them to life. So for me, I had to prioritize. And, you know, as, as much as you think something's a great idea, you have to step back and first think, okay, this is great, but will it sell? And it doesn't matter if, um, you know, you think you're going to sell a couple of them because all the time and money you spend on patents and trademarks, 
it may not be, you know, the juice may not be worth the squeeze. So you've really got to think um, and, you know, ask people. You, you need a wet blanket to, uh, you know, kind of point out, you know, kind of try to shred it and see if, um, you know, it's still a good idea. But before, before they start that process, get on Google Patents, search anything and everything that you think might be misconstrued as similar or, you know, could actually be similar. And you'll be surprised about what you find. Um, my first patent attorney did an absolutely terrible job, uh, wasted about eight to 10,000. He told me, think of every potential add-on that you might have, and that's what we'll file. So we file that, and then later on I learned that, so if that had 10 components and someone else files something similar with nine components, now they can circumvent my patent. <laughs> so, yeah, so tough, expensive lesson. So everybody listen to that so you don't have to go through it. Um, but then also, you need to do a provisional search. So pay your patent attorney. I mean, mine's excellent. I think he charges maybe $500 to do a, a real thorough provisional search to see if we should, you know, go through with filing. Um, and then, of course, the first patent attorney that, you know, wasted all that money, he told me, go ahead and file the utility patent right away. But what you actually want to do is file the provisional patent because then you have that timestamp. So it dates back to, you know, that's kind of your priority filing date. And then you've got a year and you can make, you know, other adjustments. You can change it. Um, and if you want to abandon it after that time, you at least didn't spend all the money of, you know, a full-blown patent because you'll find out a lot when you try to source, um, you know, a manufacturer, um, if there's any material science that goes into it. Like for mine, it was, you know, testing on the durometer, you know, how strong the elastomer was and in different ranges too. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into it, but I'd say definitely uh, – Put some put some hours in on Google Patents and see if there's anything else out there. And then also, you know, go on Google Images, um, or maybe start on Google Images if you're not sure how to look at the patent stuff, and uh, you know, see if anything looks close to it. I think you know, and you nailed some stuff there. I mean, you got to make sure there's an absolute need there because you need to make sure that what you're creating serves a pain. You got to make sure that there's purchasing power, so people actually want to spend the money on it. You want to make sure that you can actually target the people and that it's actually a growing market because if you spend a hundred thousand dollars or more on patenting something and inventing something material-wise, and then someone, no one wants it or needs it. I mean, that would just be terrible, which is what you see on the the dragon's den, so to speak, um, so often. So, Jason, I want to ask you this. I mean. I mean, you're a multi-prong entrepreneur, you're an inventor, you, you've got your studio, but at the end of the day also, I mean, I think the most important part in which I'm excited to talk about with Fitness Pro Mentors is that you're a fitness professional, you're a personal trainer, and you've been grinding at this for years. And the one common thread I keep hearing you say is that you're going to make it happen, you're going to make it happen. Uh, and through this, you've worked with some ridiculously, amazingly high-level pro professional athletes. I mean, you've worked with Charles Barkley, I mean, which is just ridiculous. So, I mean... Um, could you speak to anyone who's trying to develop their personal training career? They're trying to get to the point where they're making over enough money per year, six figures per year, whatever it is, so they can afford their life. If you could speak to the younger version of Jason to help you get to that point in the personal training career faster, uh, what would you say to him? I would say don't definitely don't chase the athletes. Um, the athletes that I've had, they, they kind of sought me out and, um, you know, as far as the sports training, I, I kind of equate it to if I was to reach out to the local high schools and colleges, I just put myself in that same basket with every other $10 in the park trainer 
that's also reaching out to them saying, you know, that they're a legend. So um, just finding ways to build your reputation so they seek you out. Um, so I, I got a call from Charles Barkley when I was, you know, sleeping on my mom's floor. I was driving in. Uh, the phone said um, Scottsdale, Arizona. And it was kind of fuzzy. And he said, hey, my name's Chaz Bentley. And I said, hey, Chaz, how are you? He goes, no, Chaz. I'm like, all right, simmer down. I heard you the first time. He said, I, I heard about what you do, and I'd like to get in. And um, I said, okay, you know, how about Tuesday? Um, he said, you know, could you come to me? And I said, well, that's, you know, significantly more expensive because of the time. He's like, oh, I'm not worried about the money. And I'm like, okay, we got another, you know, another rapper, producer in Atlanta that thinks they're a big shot. And um, I said, all right, Chaz, I'll see you Tuesday this time. And then the phone came through crystal clear. And he goes, no, Charles, Charles Barkley. I'm like, oh, damn. Yeah, so that was that was a good one. But um, yeah, I've had, you know, him, I've had uh, Matt Ryan, but a lot of these pro athletes, um, you know, they feel like they, they don't have to pay. They think that it's owed to them. So if I if I bring them in for a consult, uh, show them a little bit about what I do and then tell them the price, and they'll say, oh, I was thinking, I'll say, I didn't ask you to think. You know, you came here because you need help, you want it or not. Or, um, you know, sometimes and I'm, I'm consistently uh, slightly abrasive so I can get away with it. But I'll tell them, uh, tell you what, why don't you go into work Monday morning and tell your boss that you're not worth what he pays you. And then I just look at him. And they're like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. And I say, well, that's exactly how you said it. So if you don't see value in what we're doing, then this isn't the place for you. So don't don't waste time chasing these people that you think are, are great. And I I don't get starstruck by any means. Um, you know, Charles was cool, and I was teaching him how to choke out Shaq um, back then. <laughs> that's when they were going at it. Um, but incredible guy and, you know, paid more than the full rate. So if you are going to have, you know, athletes, make sure that they're paying. Um same thing with celebrities as well. Um, Laura out in California, uh, she linked me up with Stallone. So he was coming to Atlanta. I was supposed to train him and his daughter. And uh, I didn't know I kept ignoring his calls. And, um, you know, she's like, hey, what, what are you doing? He's ready to train with you. And uh, so I checked my voicemails and I still have him. He's, he sounded pretty irritated. And, um, you know, we, we joke about that. I call him, you know, wrong tone Stallone. It's like, what if I knocked out Rocky? Would I be the champ? Would that be cool? I know he's old, but how many people can say they knocked out Rocky? Um, but at the same time, I'm not driving a couple miles down the road and fighting traffic to be in some hotel gym when the tools that I need are here. Because mm -hmm. uh, that also takes more time out of my day. So it's, you know, you have to be realistic. Um, you know, these people aren't magical. So don't think that, you know, if you have a lot of athletes and a lot of the trainers that you see that do work with a lot of athletes, they don't pay. Yeah. They don't pay. So you're putting in all that free time when you could be investing that time into someone that would be more of a long-term client or that you could actually help improve their quality of life. And then you'll get referrals from there versus, you know, Oh, I got these athletes in and um, you know, they're going to bring their athletes and it's all going to be great. And then I see it happen to these trainers then they all leave and they go to someone else who does more for free. <laughs> I've had two two combine groups here training and, um, you know, spitting on the floor, going to the women's bathroom. I said, hey, get out. And they said, well, what do you mean? That's so-and-so. I said, he can be so-and-so in the parking lot. I don't care. I don't need your money. You get out. You know, you respect the house or you leave. So you have to you have to know when to cut that and not think, oh, I got I to gotta dance around them. It's so-and-so. It, it doesn't matter. They're just people at the end of the day. If yeah. you're trying to run a business, 
you have to make money to, you know, pay for your overhead. You know, it's funny you mentioned, I mean, first of all, super cool about all those different athletes in Stallone. I mean, I didn't know the Stallone thing and that's hilarious <laughs> that you were dodging his calls. That's just <laughs> by accident. I mean, that's just awesome. But the funny thing about the athletes, I was just talking about this in one of our study groups at the program. And so in our town, we're like on the cusp of a lot of like a lot of ice hockey happens here. And there's a lot of NHL prospects that come within a 45 minute drive of our facility. And we just had like this super high level kid get drafted last year from my town. And two years before that, he came into our facility and he had some terrible back stuff. And he's sitting across from me and we're doing an interview and he wants to work with us. And he goes, so um, I'm going to be in the show. So I was thinking that. I won't pay and I could do a bunch of marketing and promotion for you. And I was like, Oh gosh, I said, listen, I appreciate that. But honestly, our time is worth our time. If you mm -hmm. think that I'm too expensive, that's totally fine. Would love to get you with work with one of our professionals. That's less expensive. Would you like to do that? At the end of the day, he wanted it for free and he ducked off and it sucks because it would have been cool to have him in here. But like you said, it's not worth, it was just not a fair trade of our time. And so you got to be careful of that. So, I mean, so for people who are wanting to work with athletes, I mean, it sounds like, did you deliberately do some stuff to try and get these high-level athletes and these celebrities, or was it just something that happened from you doing good work? It was just going through those those classes that we talked about, um, mm -hmm. and then you know, kind of the word spread that I had a skill set that nobody else in Atlanta had. So cool. Um, now, you know, we talk about you know, I played sports for. Oh man, 20 years, I guess, still competing and did a lot of uh, Muay Thai and boxing and still compete in, you know, jujitsu. So I've, I've had a lot of world champions here as well. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, but being an athlete, having gone through the injuries, gone through the surgeries, I always joke and say at this point, I've either had or rehabbed somebody through just about every surgery you can think of. I had to go to Germany to have two major reconstructive surgeries because the, the best surgeons in Atlanta didn't understand how to properly identify and diagnose a sports hernia with a dynamic ultrasound. So Emory University, I'm having to send this surgeon um, articles from medical journals showing how to use a dynamic ultrasound to find a slit tear because you can't find it with static imaging. Um, so, you know, through the medical community, um, through people that knew these athletes, they just kind of started trickling in. And, um, you know, that's, that's when you know you have them. Because again, if you, if you reach out to them, they're just looking for a freebie. So to have them come in and they understand the value before they walk in the door, that's kind of the priceless part. Incredible, man. Jason, listen, I mean, I think this is a great place to put a pin in it, but I got to say, like, the the notoriety that you've accumulated from all of your hard work, I think that's what I like about you the most, is that, like, you've done some really ridiculous stuff. You've built a premier fitness facility. You've created a product. I see more of your face around the product marketing because you have to to try and help get it out there. And then you're an expert personal trainer. And at the same time, I know people that literally have one-tenth the success for you of you. And I see them all over the place showing off their personal brand. You're putting your nose to the stone. You're grinding. And it's that whole like work hard in silence and let success be your noise. And I think it's brilliant. I mean, the fact that I look at, at Elite and I don't see your face everywhere. I see the facility, your people, your trainers, your team. I mean, it's just super admirable. And I just want to thank you so much for all the hard work you're doing in the industry. I mean, you're making some big changes happen. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I don't, um, I'm just not big on, uh, you know, the selfies and, and all that stuff. I don't, I mean, really, I don't have time. And I always kind of joke and say, you know, if you look at somebody's social media and, that's what it is. Then they, 
probably don't have many clients. So. But dude, you're jacked. I mean, why aren't you taking your shirt off more? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I can't do it. We had the supplement line and I had a business partner and he's like, he's like, dude, let's take some pictures. I'm like, man, I'm not that guy. I got you. I'm just not that. Uh, I want to be known for my hard work. I do. I do feel that a physique shows that you work hard and you take it seriously. Yeah. Um, whereas other people spend money on an expensive piece of jewelry or clothing. Um, I feel like I'm more presentable in a $6 shirt. I got at Marshall's. Um, and you know, maybe that's just my personal bias, but you know, I tell them, you know, you kind of look like shit getting out of that $300,000 car. Um, you know, for, I don't know. I just look at it differently, I guess. So I, I definitely like the, um, you know, work hard in silence. And my wife's been a big help. I've got a great team here, but um, I've been on Zoom calls with China, you know, Sunday night at midnight. Um, when I get home, I've got to read through, you know, patent illustrations and get those filed. Um, so it, it really just never stops. And, um, you know, even if I had the time to, to take some, you know, pumped up selfies and things like that, I just, just can't do it. To me, yeah. that's, I'm here to help people. Yeah, I don't. I don't want attention. I want to. I want the people that I help to get attention. I want them to get attention because they're able to walk again when they were told they would never walk, or you know they can get back to their sport pain free. Um, so to me, that's what's rewarding is seeing the people I help get the attention. So I don't. Yeah, I don't want any attention. Well, you are inadvertently attracting it from all the amazing work that you're doing, and I love your approach, man. I think you need to be. I think you should be healthy and in shape, and that your shape can help to just show that you know what you're talking about. It doesn't need to be a, the main calling card, though. So I like how you look in a six dollars shirt. It's good. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Cool, Jason. Hey, man, where can people find you? Where can they learn a little bit more about the stuff you're working on? Uh, the website we've got eliteajtl.com. Uh, for the sleeve, if you know of any athletes, especially uh, throwers, um, any throwing sports, that's uh, the kineticarm.com. And all the social media is the same for the gym. It's all Elite Edge ATL, and then it's all the Kinetic Arm. Um, we've got some, we've actually now got some uh, superstars in Japan that are using the sleeve. So we're getting some big traction there. Uh, just had Trevor Hoffman and Flash Gordon and Kyle Farnsworth um, throwing with it and loving it. So, um, We've got a lot of physical therapists using it in clinic and, you know, recommending it. So we're, we're getting a big backing from the medical community. So it's, uh, it's just incredible to, you know, see it all coming together. So yeah, definitely, definitely check it out. And if anybody has questions, definitely reach out to me. So you'll be seeing a heck of a lot more of Jason Calarone in the future because he'll be exploding in every arm throwing, moving sport. Jason, thanks so much for your time today, man. It was a pleasure having you on. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was an honor. Talk to you soon, everybody.